Welcome to Global Talks by Paw of Life, a podcast about redefining healthcare through a global perspective, allowing you to become informed and involved. In each episode, we deliver the best hard-hitting analysis and discussion of what is currently impacting the healthcare landscape with guests from a variety of industries. Now, here's your host, Pavan Lohia. Welcome back. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about healthcare and education, two very unique and intertwined fields. With my next guest, I discuss the current state of both our healthcare and education system and what the future looks like for you. My next guest is a leading innovator and expert in politics, health, and education. He's also currently the director of online learning and a lecturer at the City University of New York Graduate School of Public Health and Health Policy, Dr. Sergio Costa. Welcome to the show, Dr. Costa, and thank you for being here. I want to start by asking how you've navigated yourself to become the director of online learning the School of Public Health. Sure. So there's a little bit of a um, complicated history. As I was uh, finishing my PhD way back in the day, I um, I was seeing you know the innovation that was happening around me uh, back then. Learning management systems had no no frills, right. but it excited me enough to to uh, go deeper in in into this. And also, um, the technology was emerging at a time when I was. Uh, uh, I was uh, um, you know, a teaching assistant and, and I was trying to find some sources and some ways to make the class interactive and to make it easier. Um, many of us lived outside of the Boston area, so I went to Boston University at the time. So um, I, I uh, did my teaching at Boston University uh, using all these uh, tools, Blackboard back in the day, uh, Real Player for archived uh, know newscasts you know from oh, wow. npr you know that sort of thing right. and um while i was finishing up my phd i decided to take a uh, position with pearson education which at the time was a, a leading textbook publisher and was really at the forefront of a lot of innovation um in education including the emergence of of custom books and also uh fully um integrated and full of frills, uh, learning platforms, uh, like their MyLab series, which uh, is still in production and, and very much adopted by universities all over the place. And then as I was doing that, I, uh, I, I got tired of the private sector and I had an opportunity to come over to the public sector and as a, as a teaching faculty, but also as a director of online learning in two instances, one at a university in the Midwest and now um, in New York City. Um, I don't know what the future brings, but certainly it's been a very enjoyable ride. And the the stream, I would say, is that I've I've uh, I've always been intrigued by how education is delivered. So as a student way back in the day, uh, it helped me to think about uh, how how I could, as a teacher, use the things that I would expect, um, you know, from from a student's perspective um, as, as well. So I think that I started and I embarked on this at a time when I was a student, but thinking about being a teacher, and then after that, uh, sort of becoming an online learning professional to look very holistically at how education is delivered. Right. So uh, obviously, we've come a very long way from just writing on paper and taking notes in that fashion with the advent of computers, tablets, phones, you name it. Um, do you see a, any effect of how students are actually getting their knowledge? Yeah, I think, well, well, uh, with respect to technology, um, I think it depends on what universities and where you are in the world. Um, so I I think at the end of the day, you know, when I look at all these transformations over the course of time and, and you know, in my career, I, 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 find, I find, you know, that distance plays, you know, a big role. We're all busier. We have longer commutes. We're, we're all in, you know, traveling here and there. And actually, um, a lot of our, you know, graduate students are fully, you know, you know they're, they're full-time employed and they're managing, you know, um, very complicated lives. and. I, I find at the end of the day, 
you know, you can have the, you know, the the more expensive tools like the iPads and so forth, but we've but we know that there's been some limitation around this, especially from an international setting. First of all, iPads are very expensive. And right. other, I mean, they're expensive here, but certainly in other parts of the world. So there are limits, you know. I mean, it's not so much that the technology is magical. It's just, you know, you have to start with what are your immediate needs and then um, and then ask the question whether technology makes that easier or harder or cost prohibitive or whatever. Yeah. So. So I I think I I think you know it's um it's it's a balance it really depends on the circumstances on the ground but one thing that has really driven me as a professional is that I never never start with technology first I always start with what are the educational needs what are we trying to accomplish and then looking for the most uh, um you know proximate um, more you know um, easily achievable um, reachable solutions that might be out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so obviously having experience in the private sector and now being at the City University of New York, Mm -hmm. when thinking of online learning and developing it, do you think there's a question to be asked for whether it's a university or a high school, elementary school? Do you think that these schools should be going to private companies to build their programs or should it be developed? in-house and why i mean doesn't that make a significant difference of how that yeah yeah it's uh it's also uh, a very delicate balance because it really depends on the institution where they are um i wouldn't necessarily i wouldn't necessarily start with how much money an institution has but um and i know that you're not suggesting that but i just had this conversation this afternoon um, you can throw all the money that you want, you know, onto <laughs> some, you know, projects, but that doesn't necessarily mean that'll have really good outcomes. So I am uh, a proponent of the train the trainer model. So, so in, throughout my career, I, I've dealt with online learning skeptics. I've dealt with faculty who have not been very excited about teaching in a new way. Um, but I've in 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 two rounds of this, so I, I've I've been involved. Uh, it turns out at uh, developing schools at a very nascent stage, brand new schools from the ground up physically, right. and, and no one gives you a magic book as to what's you know what's going what's to the work. Secret formula. Right, right. So it's a very slow process. So it's um, it, I I find that you know the show and tell you know so whatever you know you hear from the faculty what the goals are, then you provide um examples of what it could look like and then they ask well how do i do this so it's sort of like thinking about here's a menu of options this is what it looks like and talk to me about what you see what resonates with you and i'll and i will do what i can to help you get there and yeah Mm -hmm. uh, did you come across this as you were developing your work on creating new and new programs in public health especially constantly. in an online constantly. format. <laughs> yeah, constantly. And I I I can say looking back, you know, it's difficult. It's not a it's not a very comfortable pleasant experience, you know, to come in with you know, a very new way of 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 doing what an institution has done up until that point. And um and you always have I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's tense, but I would say that there's always hesitation, there's skepticism, there's always the, you know, obstacles and, you know, and what, and whatnot, and, and the what ifs, you know, what if we do this and then we find, you know, that a whole cohort of students, you know, have learned a thing, you know, but, um, you know, these are, these are not, I I, I would say, you know, I've, I've, I've worked over the course of my career to dispel myths. So I think I'm pretty good with that. And I think that one of my strengths is using diplomacy and, you know, and just working slow uh, in, in a slow fashion with faculty, wherever they may be in, you know, in their skill set spectrum. So um, I, you know, I, I would say that, um, that, you know, for the most part, you know, success is reached, you know, you've done, 
you know, you've sort of trained faculty, uh, actually in both institutions that I can think of, uh, 70%, about to 75% of the faculty were at least trained in online course development and online course management. And I would say about 50% of those that have been trained actually have developed learning modules in their courses. And, oh, wow. and, and yeah, and, and they, and they have, you know, would they, would they say that they've been like, like, you know, overnight champions and, and evangelists, you know, for <laughs> online learning themselves? No, it's, it's hard work to, to build a really good um, learning experience in the online setting or hybrid setting for that matter. And um, I, I think, you know, it's just a mix, you know, of, you know, of how people, you know, feel, you know, ab about it. But yeah. I can tell you what drives that, uh, what drives a, a big part of that when faculty choose to develop these learning modules and then continue to teach in these formats is that the students really vote with their feet. So they're they're enrolling in these uh, in sections, you know, in droves, and um, and we have to address, you know, what students, you know, expect and need. So as I said, you know, a lot of our graduate students, a huge proportion of our graduate students are full time employed, and they have uh, really long commutes here at the City University of New York. It was found through a survey done some some years back that the average commute time for a CUNY student is 45 minutes one way. So, you know, even though the City University of New York has, you know, over 25 campuses, and I think it's now 27 in the City of New York and all five boroughs, uh, there's this misperception that the CUNY student is a local student. So if you're in Staten Island, you're going to the College of Staten Island. That's not Definitely. the case. Yeah. yeah. And I, I was going to say that I, I've experienced the kind of different phases of online learning, I think, between attending community college, my undergraduate now being in New York. Um, I One of my late professors, actually, from my undergraduate, um, he's he is teaching experience of probably close to 30 years. Um, and when it, at my undergrad, they had launched this new uh, program and they basically actually piloted it in our public health program. He was actually one of the leaders. And surprisingly, for somebody who is used to teaching in an in-person format, he was able to really develop his modules very well. I think there was some initial pushback from students again just you know different mm -hmm. platforms from the transition from blackboard to that platform mm -hmm. and you know not all classes being there so i think those are just like small things but they eventually become bigger and mm -hmm. going into public health i think it's a interesting subject to actually teach mm -hmm. in an online format because although some some parts are purely theoretical and you can you know have it be in this online format whether it's mm -hmm. taped or not i would mm -hmm. say there's definitely a struggle in more applied areas and i i'm not sure if online learning has really been there regardless of the platform or or not um I do see that being a struggle. And I think even apart from public health, but other science majors, social science majors as well, um, or for that matter, any type of uh, program, mm -hmm. I'm not sure how, they, how they'll be able to kind of translate some of these skills that you're picking up in a classroom, whether it's social skills, these applied skills. So yeah, I would say that's probably one of the biggest challenges too now. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I mean, you make, you know, you make an excellent point. Um, I do, um, I, you know, I am aware of these, uh, of these, uh, you know, criticisms of online learning. However, I, I would say that certainly in a professional degree like public health, uh, there should be plenty of opportunities, whether you're in a face to a face to face course, a hybrid or fully online, there should be plenty of opportunities for students to um, apply their learning out in the field. So I, I, I really try to think about the way that I teach in terms of having deliverables in a course as to have things that you could showcase in a portfolio. 
So while social skills are very important in the classrooms and socialization, or you know, amongst your students and so forth, um, I, I I think it's good to make that you know connection. But there's nothing that really prohibits uh, students from doing that in a virtual session. So in my course, I use uh, group work. Over 65% of the grade, you know, in in my in in my teaching. Uh, certainly in, you know, in the MPH core, where I think is the opportunity for students to really develop, you know, skills that they should build on throughout, you know, throughout their concentration courses and all the way up to their capstone is to, is to sort of self-manage themselves. So I, I'm developing secondary skills, but they're secondary, but they're very important skills in terms of how to manage themselves, how to create a communication plan, um, with accountability among themselves, um, and how to do that virtually, you know, so right. whether it's on a weekend or whatever, you sort of come to uh, an agreement over time and then you pick the technology that you're most comfortable with. And I've really been uh, very surprised, you know, as someone who is, you know, spends, you know, his career n knowing, you know, um, a lot about this technology that at every single instance, when I, you know, every iteration of this course that I teach, I learned from somebody about a new tool that I haven't heard about or I haven't thought about being used, you know, uh, that way. So I really leave it up to up to up to groups, and I really see the groups, you know, developing and, um, you know, developing these uh, skills. And I often hear at the end of the course how there was some trepidation about group work, and there's there's always hesitation about group work, as you know, and yeah, and always and there's always you know, two four groups that have that have stepped out you know that really had make a you know a point to reach me to tell me that it really was a very pleasurable experience and that the group you know when they in, inevitably they might take a face-to-face -face course certainly in public universities um it, it's often the case that um that the vast proportion of students um take you know in-person classes, but the online courses, they they kind of use it sort of a way to supplement. Uh, you know, we suspect right. it's to cut back on commutes, you know, to achieve a better work-life balance. But they will see each other in a face-to-face course, but they have built those social, you know, roots and, you know, hopefully they'll be, you know, friends going forward. But we all know that after after you know graduate work, there's lots of opportunities to socialize out there, sure. and uh, you'll know a whole bunch of other people, and that's what we want to do. We want our students to go out there, and to um, drive the passion that got them to this point um, around public health and in related areas, uh, to go out into the field into all kinds of sectors uh, to um, get to know people and get to know stakeholders and and identify the levers for change. So and it's great that you mentioned stakeholders and your passion. So I know you have a political background as well, combined with public health. And I think obviously the big thing going on right now in general is how healthcare is dominating the landscape of the United States and many other parts of this world. Just this past week, there were some comments made on the news about what healthcare is. Um, and there was some responses, mainly just saying, you know, I think in the United States, a lot of people think that healthcare is insurance. And I think as public mm -hmm. health professional, as a public health student, and you as a public health professional, that is definitely not what healthcare is. And mm -hmm. I think right now is the messaging off on the political landscape or is it also just as a country or communities that are not really understanding of what healthcare really means well i mean you mentioned some very very key words i mean as, as you were meant you know um uh posing the question um you know healthcare we tend to think about in a very individual sense so you know insurance insures the individual i have a problem i show up and it's still an individual solution to a very individual problem but you mentioned the world you know the word uh, community and and i think there is uh you know um a real disconnect 
certainly here in the United States. I can't say, you know, in other places abroad, but certainly here in the United States about, you know, uh, healthcare, you know, in an individual context and then this thing that we call community health and in investment in resources, investment institutions, investment in, you know, in the environment and natural resources and technology to to bring about health change at the population level. So there's always this tension between how how I would say lay people or people who may not be, be familiar with public health to think about, you know, health in the individual context versus population health. There's always been that tension there. So when people come into public health or they hear about public health or are considering, you know, a degree and say, well, where are my options? What's this thing, this public health? And then you read a description about what public health does and it, there's a, a trigger in the mind, you know, it's like there's sort of an epiphany. It's like, wow, this really makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think, I, I, I think, you know, um, so there is that, you know, existent tension, but you're asking a very, very big question. I, in terms of the political and, and the political landscape, um, I think, you know, well, two, two things. So, so I see health and all, I, I, I look at the world, you know, through a health and all, uh, lens I see public health in just about everything. I'm not sure if it's always there, but I certainly, you know, my brain is trained, you know, to see that. It's like, what are the health implications for this uh, educational technology, for this uh, innovation in transportation, uh, you know, for, you know, for, you know, this, you know, a product, you know, so now we're going to paper to something else, you know. It changes your worldview. Right. So I see, you know, health and in, in health and all. I don't I, I don't I don't think that everybody's really trained to see it that way, but it is a muscle that you build over time. And, it, and certainly it's it's certainly a goal in my in my teaching to develop that skill um, in my students with the hope that they go into, like I said, to different sectors and sort of apply that lens. Um, so that's number one. Number two, I think the. I, I I look at health as inherently political, and I know that within the public health profession, uh, certainly, uh, that that you know up until an article, I, I I'm th- I'm thinking of this article that was published in the AJPH, and I think in 2012 by Daniel Goldberg, and it was called against the very idea of the politi- politicization of public health, and he makes this argument that public health is inherently uh, um, you know, a political thing, and that public health as a field needs to, uh, you know, come to terms with this and 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 deal with it. You know, and and, and deal with it in a very in a very you know uh, tr- transparent, obvious, deliberate way. So I, I when I look back, you know, about the things that I've you know, there's lots of things that, that have influenced me, but I came from a field, you know, political science, where there we're taught to see, you know, politics and everything. Of course. So, so, uh, and I prevail upon a number of um, uh, models and, in, in, you know, uh, public policy processes. I'm always looking at, you know, frameworks to help, inf- you know, sort of make sense of the uh, world around us. I, what I do in my teaching is, I, I do try to develop that lens of, you know, health and all and, and seeing health in the most, you know, um, um, the most, in the most non-obvious, you know, ways. But I also, um, also teach my students to, you know, prevail upon these frameworks uh, primarily to think about how to influence policy in ways other than, you know, the testimonies, the op-eds, you know, that we do, um, you, you know, those, those are, those are, those are important tasks, but I, I, I try to curate, uh, case studies and readings and, um, and examples and demonstrations about how, uh, stakeholders, um, were sought out, how alliances were built, um, how opportunities came up in very unexpected ways, how time, how geography um, frames and impacts the development of right. you know, movements and, 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 and policy evolution. Um, and I try to do that in a comparative lens way as well. So I am a comparativist by training. So I want my students to look at 
other parts of the world, but also think with a research cap on to think about what are some factors and variables that might be in play that have, you know, led to outcomes in country A versus country B. So if we're looking for, you know, two similar developed, you know, democracies, why is it that policies that, you know, that have been championed have been successful in country A and not country B. So I want my students to sort of think in those in those terms. But at the end of the day, I, you know, I I see health as very, very political, as inherently political, but it's not something to be running away from. It's something to contend with because that is the reality on the ground, and especially today in an age where you know, there's a lot of disinformation campaigns. There's there, uh, you know, there's 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 a, a very strong potential for for us to see um, a real deterioration in successes that have led to this point. Um, that we really have to um, grapple with the new political realities on the ground. Is that how do you deal with, you know? politics i mean does testimony does you know do testimonies work and and anymore have you know politicians really come to their conclusions are there barriers that you can't really overcome because of you know of interest um group you know um loyalties or um lobbying efforts and and too much money in politics so we have to be really creative about how do we overcome those challenges by you know prevailing upon the examples that we can um, around us, and certainly political science and public health as you know a joint, um, you know as a as a joint field. Very interconnected. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And I th- I think uh, just even myself when I think about it, that where I really started to get my healthcare, public health, you know, just I think overarching information and. I was actually very perplexed because I didn't have a direct source of information. There's no like, there's no like Google of healthcare, essentially. I mean, mm-hmm. Google obviously serves many purposes, but given you have these pl- platforms like a WebMD, and then you also mm-hmm. have all the research articles, um, there's a whole uh, issue on, you know, is a lot of public health research even reaching? the population that mm-hmm. it affects and mm-hmm. um, the stakeholders that are involved. But I think now that I'm pursuing my master's, I really think is the knowledge that we're getting um, as a health professional, whether it's in from the high school level um, all the way to the professional level, professional level as a master's doctoral student. Um, I think now you're starting to see many medical doctors have public health backgrounds, nurses having public health backgrounds. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Um, So I, I also see lots of opportunities for, for public health as a, as a, um, as a discipline, it's curriculum to change enormously. I think that it has to, it really has no choice to meet the needs of the future. So, um, um, among these uh, skills that I can immediately think of are, you know, beginning with soft skills, you know, uh, resilience, uh, leadership in, in different modalities, because, you know, there are institutions where leadership can mean different things, you know. So, sure. I mean, can you really be a leader where, you know, you know, where there's an institution that doesn't allow for alternate voices? It's not something, I mean, you just have to be, you know, prepared to know what leadership means in whatever organization you're talking about. Uh, cultural sensitivity is another one, you know, so cultural competence, of course, negotiation is another. Trust building, uh, teamwork skills that I've mentioned earlier, um, collaboration etiquette. These are the soft skills. It's sort of like people skills and, and there's never um, an end or a limit to, you know, to how you can develop those. So as careers, you know, as, you know, as people become more mature and, in, in, you know, and more experienced in their, in their orbits, uh, these should certainly um, improve. But there are some skills, some hard skills that are drawn from other disciplines that I think are critical for a future in public health. Um, project management is one. Right, so yeah, very, very, Right. So very process-based skills that may or may not use uh, technology. You know, you, you know, there are project management software out, out there. And we, and we know from project management that, uh, that 
you know, when you're when you're building things for a new that coordinating teams, coordinating collaboration among teams is a very, very critical uh, piece. Uh, project management is taught in business schools, is taught in, you know, in other disciplines as well. Um, do we teach it in public health? I think we do, but I don't think that it's even across all programs. Um, strategic planning and thinking is also another. Yeah. Uh, how do you how do you define goals? How do you bring stakeholders together to not only define those goals, but to prioritize those goals as well? Um, change management is also another. That's a very business schooly, you know, type of uh, concept, and I think that is super um, in in need in 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 public health. So organizational learning. How do you build your current workforce, especially when we're dealing with uh, labor shortages in the future. I think it was the Debo, uh, the DeBomount um, Foundation some years back at a at a nacho meeting um, uh, had had said that by 2023, the public health workforce, a very large percentage of the public health for, uh, workforce, will will leave the profession for a host of reasons. So, so how do you keep good people? Uh, how how do you bring in and keep those people? Um, expertise development and so forth in in those uh, organizations. Communication is another, and I think that uh, strategic communication. How do you talk to different audiences? How do you um, mobilize communities effectively with or without technology? Um, how do you frame a problem in a way that resonates with the with your audience? So you mentioned earlier about data and public health research, but there, there, there are ways to not only grab the attention, yeah. right, right. There, there, there are not only ways to grab the attention, but you have to keep the attention. So you're also time limited too. So we have to work with cognitive science in order to know what's possible in, in, in that, um, in, you know, and what's possible with that particular frame. The Frameworks Institute, by the way, does excellent work around this and they're sort of, um, you know, they can, uh, you know, it's comprised of of people from very different fields, but in their on their website, they have a number of case uh, studies where they've they've they work with public health departments, they work with you know local governments, state governments, mul- multitude of of organizations to test messages, to test framing, whether it's in PSAs, whether it's in you know um, you know films or whatever, and they. Um, and they and they and they and they and they look for impact, so they're evaluating as well. Um, uh, what else? What other skills? Uh, uh, you know, there. You know, facilitation skills is another. You know, how do you how do you bring uh, stakeholders and you know to together? You know, like you, you know, and you, you know, you you might have you know uh, alliances that. Don't you know that I don't really consist of the people that you would normally think, but how you bring unlikely allies to the table and and manage that. So these are just some examples. Yeah, and I, I think you know building these skills. I don't think it's necessarily that it's just taught in the classroom or by pursuing a degree, but I think especially for professionals in the healthcare realm, mm-hmm. I think these are skills that are constantly developing and also constantly evolving. And I think <laughs> that. There's definitely some disconnect out there between healthcare professionals, depending on their specialties and whatnot, of that evolution of education. Mm-hmm. But when you bring up the notion of, you know, there's student, there's uh, professionals that are going to be leaving the workforce. I, I've definitely seen that. I've, I've read things about that, and I personally know people who've left the healthcare industry, especially uh, doctors, senior researchers because of the, you know, costs involved, the the struggles that they face as individuals. And although myself, I think I advocate for public health education, I, uh, as an alumni now, or soon to be of another public health school, I've always reached out to students, current and uh, incoming to, you know, pursue public health or public health related concentrations. But I think, especially now being in a master's program, I see that uh, cost is a really big deal mm-hmm. and also access to education. So mm-hmm. 
I almost fear that cost is driving students away from pursuing degrees. Mm -hmm. I know I personally know friends that have not pursued degrees mm -hmm. because of the cost. And even if we downplay cost for a moment, then there's things of, you know, having to move, having to, you know, create a new life. And you're mm -hmm. at some point, you're not just yourself. You can have a family, you can have kids, uh, you can have parents, you mm -hmm. know, those things all kind of play into life. And I don't know how that really impacts your average student, but you can definitely see that with even just at a national level where we are having the debt crisis for students, current and former. Mm -hmm. And I'm just worried, will that hurt the innovation that happens in the United States education? Or will it just also impact, you know, as we see now, there are shortages of public health professionals, shortages of doctors, nurses, mm -hmm. every like even in my own role as a clinical researcher at Mount Sinai, we had we've had struggles to find quality researchers who are able to do the type of work that's necessary. Mm -hmm. And now being in Washington, D.C. and seeing it at not only the clinical level, but also the political and, you know, more uh, broad, broader level of, you know, states and all that. It is very perplexing to me, um, really, where healthcare is going to be just a few years from now, mm -hmm. as well as the people who are going to make up healthcare. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, these, uh, these are very, very serious uh, questions, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, I a, it's not a light topic at all. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but I, I think, uh, but let me just start with, with saying, you know, what I've been observing in the past, you know, one, uh, you know, the last year or two. Um, I think that, uh, and, and it's, I know this won't be good news, you know, for people like, like, you know, well, my colleagues in the public, maybe even in the private sector, who have taught in traditional education, um, you know, um, you know, graduate degree, formal graduate yeah. degrees where students come out with the uh, with a degree. Uh, there, I do see a rise of alternative educational providers out out there, and um, they're 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 popping up mostly for skills that are, you know, that are, that are in high demand, but they really don't require, you know, like a research degree or something like that. Um, uh, those are e emerging. So I'm, I'm seeing some models right now where employers even um, are willing to pay for the education of, you know, of an individual or groups of individual they commit certain amount of time to, you know, the organization and in return, their education is paid for. Um, and a lot of these organizations um, in, in, in these particular skill areas that I'm talking about, uh, they're, they're really overlooking, um, you know, on purpose, uh, <laughs> the fact that the student might not have a degree and, and they might even explicitly say that it's not, it doesn't really matter. You know, they have a certain, you know, um, you know, skills that they're looking for in a person. They just really want, you know, the tasks to be done and they're willing to train those individuals to, to you know, to to um, master those skills and then to commit to the, um, to the organization. So that's one model. I do, I do see a rise in apprenticeships and I think that that actually you know, does have um, a bright opportunity because like the previous example that I gave, apprenticeships is sort of like sustained field work opportunities where, you know, where you know, students in a program could um, have a promise, you know, of employment, um, other incentives perhaps, you know, to be discussed depending on the institution, but among them could also be, you know, you know, education paid for or a portion of that. Um, and it does have the opportunity for the student to not only build that trust and relationship with an organization to have a really strong early start to um, to a bright career, but to also reinforce this, their skills that they've learned throughout. Um, so I've also been a proponent, but I really haven't 
you know, thought about how we overcome the, you know, re required uh, credentials, you know, especially in these uh, traditional in institutions that we're thinking of, like public health, right. uh, you know, health centers, um, health agencies, certainly in government. Um, I don't see, at least for the immediate future, for the need of bachelor's or even a master's degree to go away. But um, but I do believe that in order for people to grow within organizations and to make way for new incoming, um, you know, newly minted graduates or people in early stages of their career, that continuing education and helping build people uh, with professional development skills is very important. Um, and I also uh, like to um, think of uh, programs outside of the traditional model. So let's say if yeah. you were to do a non-credit bearing program where, you know, you've defined or, or if, you know, you've done the research um, to inform the uh, curriculum where, you know, your median uh, middle level, um, you know, manager wants to uh, move up to a more senior level position. This is what it would take yeah. that, you know, you could do like weekend offerings or sort of a compressed um, continuing education um, offering uh, a program uh, to, you know, to give them a certificate or something like that, uh, that could enable them to grow within the organization. So um, having been both in the public and the private side, I'd say one of the constraints of working in a public institution is that there are lots of rules in place, many of which, you know, are, you know for, you know, good reason, but the ability to innovate, the ability to work beyond, let's say a 15 week, you know, semester model uh, is simply, you know, impossible. And I think that universities like the city and University of New York has to evolve and has to be prepared to respond to that because I do see the risks ahead and, and I think that there might be alternate educational providers who are not teaching students, you know, to be holistic, to be ethically responsible, um, you know, individuals or to teach those skills, you know, about, you know, um, you know, you know, empathy, um, you know, to teach them, you know, values and so forth. Uh, you know, um, they will jump in and and exploit that vacuum. So, um, and there's a real danger um, because I, I think, you know, I, I, I look at, you know, I, I'm, I look at developments within ed tech and I, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of trash out there, to be honest. And, you know, people have very big goals, but, you know, it's not uncommon to see people in these, you know, in the boards of these, um, you know, ed tech um, organizations to have no experience whatsoever, you know, in front of a classroom or having taught. Wow or no education at all. So, um, and there's a danger because we don't want to be teaching a generation to, you know, come up with, let's say, you know, technical solutions like, you know, coding and, you know, and, and, and data science, but, but, you know, then losing track of what that means for people are thinking about impact on populations. You know, it's, it's not just a, a coding challenge. It, it's people that will have to contend with the outcomes of, this uh, with this software, whether you intend them or not. So there is no reset, you know, for, you know, some of the things like some of these uh, social media companies have done. I mean, uh, they're, you know, the societal fabric, I mean, for all to see is, is, is coming apart. And uh, what was a very good idea at the beginning with sort of like uploading pictures and status and following friends has become quite a different creature with, um, I'm afraid, uh, very long lasting, um, um, you know, uh, consequences for society. So, so I think that universities have to contend with, you know, uh, with non-traditional models, with alternate models to meet the needs of, of the public health workforce of the future, for sure. Yeah. And I, th I think, uh, both private and public organizations are also going to have to maneuver through that. I mean, I would say even from personal experience, I I know that even being on the younger side of uh, my colleagues, um, it is very challenging. Even students who are going through all these degrees and trainings, there is some, sometimes even myself, I'm, I consider, is this enough to pursue what I want to do? And I, I ultimately hope that it doesn't, uh, 
you know, detract a student from, hey, I don't want to pursue this degree anymore. I don't want to pursue this type of career anymore because of these barriers. And I think it's not just, you know, companies are on the hook for it. I think it's, yeah, it's going to be universities, educators, yeah. and your organization itself. Um, and I don't know if there's a quick and easy solution, nor would I expect there to be, but there definitely has to be, I guess, a conversation just like we're having about it um, to really focus in on that since every, you know, things are ever changing now in our technology based world. Mm -hmm. I think, and as, as you're currently working on developing online education, you're, are you seeing that there's, that there's going to be this kind of switch in students or, and, you know, even companies or educators themselves that, hey, we need to really adapt to this way of learning and thinking for the future of our students and the impact these students are going to have out on the world. Yeah, there's no question. I, I do see the next five, 10 years to, to see a tremendous amount of new technology, um, easier to use. Um, I, I think that's just going to be logarithmically, you know, it's just going to happen. And, um, and I think that's going to, I wouldn't say force, but that would certainly be a very centripetal force, you know, for institutions to, um, come together, cohere around, um, a, a very new way of teaching. Uh, it's not novel to me, but I have to say that, you know, you, you know, it, it is quite new for a lot of faculty, even though online learning has been around in, you know, different, you know, variants for, you know, 15, 20 years. And if you want to go back, you know, way, way, way back, you know, as co correspondence, what they call correspondence, uh, um, <laughs> education correspondence courses right. way back in the day. Um, so, it, you know, um, I, I think that I, I do think that 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 new technology, more accessible technology is going to emerge in the next, you know, five to 10 years, certainly. And I think that there is what I see as a trend to make things easier for educators and Provided that you do enough user design interface, you've beta tested your products, I I don't see any reason why these products couldn't evolve in such a way that really would be useful uh, for faculty and would really make for very interactive, very easy, you know, to um, create uh, very, in, you know, very, you know, interactive and impactful learning experiences. I. I certainly see that happening, but like I said, I'm going to preempt that with, you know, knowing full well that there's a lot of garbage out, out there. So, but there's, but there's also a lot of good stuff. Um, and there's people like you working on it. So that definitely is a I little reassuring. Keep, yeah. I try to keep my eye on it. I think, you know, you know, my, my, I'm spot on with my principles. And I think that the most, most people that I know there that are in the space, certainly that have some exposure to teaching, they're aligned to these principles as well. The problem is that there are all these solutions out there that, you know, we don't know what they're doing with the data that you provide. And, 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 and frankly, um, you know, they may have what may look like a very good product, but actually at the end of the day, really doesn't, you know, really didn't meet, you know, it's, it's promises. So, um, I, I think that, that that will get better over over time. I'm I'm hopeful. Um, I see a lot of students, and I, I I look to them and and what they use and how they use their products um, as um, as as sort of a gauge about you know how how things you know are evolving in tech as well. And if they're liking it, then and if they find it useful, I take a look at the products and I and I say to myself, well, why don't we try to use this, you know, in the classroom, you know, Flipgrid is, uh, is an example. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's free, but it does have constraints. You have to have, you know, different kinds of email. I think you have like two different kinds of email addresses that you have to use. You can't just use anything like you have to have a, you know, a Google email account, but it, it does have an opportunity for students to sort of you know, re record in their responses to a discussion board prompt where they're, you know, um, uh, and, and, and not, you know, a text-based, you know, um, as an alternative to, to a text-based discussion board, um, blog for format. So, um, so I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm, I'm hopeful about the future. No, it's really good to hear. And 
I think definitely just having this discussion, you can see that all these like intersects of healthcare, public health, education, formats of learning. Mm-hmm. It is very interesting. And uh, I think bringing to the audience and, you know, even future people is that these are the things that actually impact what we all see, what we learn, and ultimately affecting our public health as we see the world in that way. Mm-hmm. And definitely, I mean, you're on the forefront of, you know, creating these uh, technologies for our students currently and for our future. So I'm excited yeah, I, to see what you're able to do for sure. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, my main charge as an educator is to be sure that I'm teaching the right values to my students. And I want that to be a lifelong, you know, commitment to those uh, values. And whether my students as public health, you know, as you know, people who hold a, a master's in public health go to you know, the gaming industry, the mobile technology industry, yeah. um, you know, we know where, wherever they're bringing those values wherever they go. So that's why I feel that, um, you know, contrary to a lot of, you know, colleagues and, and peers within, you know, our field that I, I do want my students to go into different s- sectors and in, including the private sector, uh, whether it's for pharmaceuticals or food and beverage, uh, uh, companies, uh, to, bring those values and become players in those fields for, you know, the goals that we want to achieve for the greater good and for the public's uh, health. Of course. Yeah, no, I, I think all of this is really reshaping healthcare all across the country and in many parts of the world. And as students or as professionals, I think it's great to see the branching out of really what's coming to fruition from all those you know, different parts of education and career workforces. So it'll be very exciting to see the current playing field of healthcare and then also how it evolves just as different and more diverse people come in and become active participants. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much for taking the time to have this discussion. And we look forward to seeing what happens on the educational aspect of public health. Likewise. (laughs) Thank you very much, Pavan. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining this episode of Global Talks by Pav Life with Pavan Lohia. Make sure to visit pavlife.com, where you can also subscribe to the podcast and read the Pav Life blog. For perspectives and news on everything healthcare, you simply can't get anywhere else. Share your thoughts on the show by rating the show and by connecting with us on social media. Thanks for tuning in. See you in the next episode.